Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful you guys are here. Uh, whether you're joining us in person, inside, or maybe you're outside in the courtyard, or maybe you're watching at home, we're grateful to have you. And our hope and prayers that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And if this is your first time, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, on, uh, on a lot of levels. Uh, uh, and I'll explain kind of what we're doing here in a second. Let me tell you, we've got a few things happening over the next few weeks. Number one, we have something called Front Range University that's starting up. Uh, if you're interested, we have kind of three levels to this. Uh, if you're interested in growing in your faith or uh, maybe you feel called to ministry or maybe you want to grow in leadership, there's kind of all different levels to, to how to grow and, and be developed and all of that. So we just want to provide you with opportunities to do that. Uh, if you're interested in that, uh, there's uh, information on our website um, and, uh, or, or we would love to uh, connect you to what we have going on to help you grow in your faith. Next week we have baptisms. Uh, so next Sunday, if you've never been baptized, we'd love to make that happen. Uh, or uh, maybe you, you were like me. I was baptized when I was an infant, but I hadn't been baptized um, until when I accepted Christ. Uh, then I got baptized to show my, my faith in Jesus. It's a public declaration of that faith. And uh, so if you haven't had that opportunity, man, we'd love to do that. Uh, you could check the box on your Connect card, uh, and we would, uh, we'll, we'll follow up with you this week to make sure that that happens or just show up next week. And then on uh, September 10th, we have Next Steps. Next Steps is an opportunity for you to get connected. There's been a ton of new people uh, over the, the last few months. And so if you haven't had a chance to go to Next Steps or you've been attending Front Range for a few years but haven't been able to go, uh, we'd love for you to go just to uh, find out who we are, meet some of us uh, on staff, and then um, uh, figure out how can you get connected here and live out kind of what our mission is, that build community, discover purpose, and grow in your faith. Okay, so today is a, a weekend, a Sunday with no dream team. That means we have zero dream team members that are serving in our church. Uh, you probably saw that on a sign coming up, if you saw that, or uh, maybe you're, you're like, why are my kids next to me in service? Uh, it's because there's no dream team members. Uh, our staff are the only ones doing things today, so our staff, our interns, our residents, we're the only ones doing stuff. So we only have enough for, uh, to make it safe for certain rooms. Um, and then uh, obviously, you know, Pastor Aaron is having to do a bunch. Uh, up here, we've got, uh, like, I, I think, uh, Andrew's basically doing all production back there, so I see him running back and forth between cameras and everything. Um, and so what we do uh, when we do this is, number one, we want, we want all of our Dream Team members to know how appreciative we are of you. Like, we are so grateful. If you serve in our church, thank you. You're what makes this place home. And you guys serve in so many different ways, um, and there's no way we could ever truly repay you. But this is just one opportunity on a Sunday to be, to be able to say, hey, thank you guys. Thank you for all that you do week in and week out to let our church become a home for so many people. And then it's to say to everybody else, hey, join. Like if this is your church, like let it be your family. And as a family, like jump in. Make it a home for somebody else, right? There's people who walk through these doors every single week and um, and their experience is based on, you know, so many different things. Like, do we have a space for their kids so they can come in here and, and really learn and receive what God has for them? And, or maybe they're so tired and they need good coffee, you know, and not just coffee that's been sitting there for a while or whatever. Like, we, we have so many opportunities to serve. We have opportunities to serve throughout the week. Uh, we have a, a ladies group that comes in and helps with kids' curriculum and 
Uh, man, it's like, it's like, it looks like the funnest group. I'm not a part of it. I'm not allowed to be a part of it. Um, but it looks like the funnest group in our church. Uh, we have people who serve at Custom on Tuesdays, which are student ministry, or on Wednesdays, uh, which are student ministry. So if you're not currently involved, here's a, a little card that's on your seat. Uh, if you're like, man, I didn't see it. You're sitting on it. Uh, and you can just take time during the service and fill this out. This is not you committing, but this is you saying, I'd like more information on or if you're currently serving somewhere and you're like, ah, you know what, I'd, I'd like to try something else. We always say, we're not, we're not asking you to meet a need. We want you to like find your passion and do what God's called you to do. And so if, you're, if, you, don't, if you haven't been experiencing that where you're serving, then let's find another area to serve. But man, if this is your home, jump in. You can fill this card out. You can take it. There's a tent right out in the courtyard. You can take it there right afterwards. Uh, we'll have some of our staff there to be able to answer any questions or anything like that. Or there's just buckets there. You can just drop it uh, as you walk by. But if you're not serving, man, join our dream team. Join making this place a home for somebody else. Uh, all right. Now, many of you know that uh, I'm from the south. Uh, and I'm not just from the south. I'm from the coastal south, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And you'll hear, it if you, you'll hear it in my voice every once in a while, certain words that I say. I say y'all a lot. Um, and, uh, and when people find out I'm from Charleston, they just assume certain things about me, uh, right? Like wherever you're from, like I, I will assume certain things about you. So people assume certain things, and then when they find out those things aren't true, they're, you know, they're kind of like, man, are you really from the South? Are you really from Charleston? Like, like I don't like one of the staple foods of the South. And that staple food is fried chicken. I can't stand fried chicken. I know. Like, you're like, you're not from the South then. You must be a Yankee or something, you know? Like, no. Like, I, like, I grew up there, but I just don't like it. When I go to Chick-fil-A, I love Chick-fil-A. When I go to Chick-fil-A, I get the grilled nuggets, even though they stink, which I don't know why they smell. Have you ever had, anybody ever had the grilled nuggets? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about then. You're like, oh, yeah, it's gross. But they taste much better than, than fried. That's just, that's just me. Uh, I also don't like seafood which is strange because, again, I grew up in Charleston, so I, I don't like any seafood. I like to cook oysters for others uh, or steam them, but I don't like to eat them. They, they're like boogers, you know, so who wants to eat that? You know, I, I, I don't eat squid or if you want to call it calamari to make it sound better uh, or crab or fish or any of that. And when people ask me, like, man, you don't eat, like, seafood? Why don't you? And it boils down to this. It stinks, right? Like whether you're catching it whether you're gutting it, whether you're cooking it, no matter what, it just smells. And I don't like the smell of seafood, so I don't eat it. And here's the transition. I think after Jonah's experience today, he probably didn't eat seafood ever again. That was good. That was good. You're welcome. My staff was like, that was terrible, like awful. All right, so here's what we're doing. We're in a series right now on the book of Jonah. Uh, where we're, we're looking at his life and how his life really reflects our lives. We have this thing called the Message Series Hubs, uh, which helps you to go deeper in your faith. So if you're interested in that, there's a QR code on your worship guide, or you can go to our, wor our, um, our website, and you can look on our website and uh, find our, our Message Series Hubs for all of our series that we do. And there's always something to, to help you go deeper in your faith and in your relationships on that Series Hub. So check that out. Uh, but right now, uh, in the, the book of Jonah, let me give you some, some context in case you haven't, you haven't been here. Uh, Jonah is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament has 16 prophetic books. 
Uh, there's uh, uh, 12 minor ones, 14 major ones. That really doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, they're all about the same. But Jonah stands out from all of them because out of all the prophetic books, every one of them except for Jonah is about the words that were spoken. You see, a prophet is someone who speaks words given from God to a person or a group of people. And so all the prophetic books are about these words that are spoken to a person or a group of people. But Jonah is the only one that is not about the words that are spoken. It's about the life of Jonah. And when we look at the life of Jonah, we learn a few things. Number one, we learn that all of us have a Jonah inside of us. Like Jonah ran from God. Jonah rebelled from God. Jonah didn't want to listen to God. And we all have that tendency in us. We also learn that no matter your mistakes, no matter your past, God can use you in a significant way to impact the world. So that's kind of what we see from Jonah's life. We looked at week one how uh, God said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, your enemies, and I want you to tell them that their wickedness has risen to the Lord, uh, and unless they change, then they will be destroyed. Now, you would think Jonah would want to go deliver that message, but instead of going to Nineveh, he goes 3,000 miles the opposite direction to Tarshish. Uh, Last week, we looked at how while he's on a boat heading to Tarshish, uh, that God sends this violent storm upon the boat. And the sailors are like, man, what do we do? Like, who, whose fault is this? What is happening here? Jonah finally um, admits, hey, it's me. And the only way to, like, calm this thing is to throw me into the sea. Which, again, just shows Jonah's selfishness. Because all Jonah had to do was repent. All he had to do was say, hey, God, my bad. I'm sorry. I'll go now. And the storm would have quieted down and God would have redirected the ship and all of those things. But he doesn't. He's like, instead of following God, just kill me. And so he tells them to throw him into the sea, and the sailors are like, oh, man, your blood's not on our hands. And they throw him into the sea. And that's where we pick up the story today. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be up on the screen. And if you need a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Go to our Connections tent, and hopefully there'll be somebody there to give you a Bible. Or just look around and take it today. <laughs> verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So week one, we talked about don't get caught up in the details. With the book of Jonah, people are like, ah, I don't, I, like this is the part that I don't know if I can believe this whole story. Okay, and we talked about don't get caught up in the details because you can miss the bigger picture. Like did a big fish really swallow Jonah? Is this just a metaphor or an allegory of some sort? Is Jonah to be taken literally? Now here's the deal. I wrestled with this early on in my faith and just trying to like, understand, like, could this actually happen? So if it didn't happen, then what is it and all of that? And here's what I would say. You don't have to take my point of view, okay? And if you don't take my point of view, it's totally fine. You can still get something out of Jonah, okay? You can still grab what God has for you out of Jonah. So don't get caught up in the small details. But I believe that it is to, to be taken literally. And let me give you a case for why. There's three reasons. Number one, there are fish big enough to swallow Jonah. Like, there's a sperm whale that... The sperm whale can grow up to 52 feet in length, which is the size of a semi-truck, okay? I think a human could fit into a semi-truck. Then you got the whale shark, 62 feet in length. That's six stories. That's a building that's six stories, okay? That's taller than any building in Castle Rock. I think a human can fit inside of that. Then you have the blue whale. The blue whale can get to 108 feet in length. That's the size of a Boeing 737, Okay, a few humans can fit inside of a Boeing 737. Or the stomach of the blue whale can hold 2,000 pounds of its food. So it's a massive stomach, okay? 
So that fish can obviously, and then they just found one. I talk about this on week one very briefly. They just found a new fossil of a whale they don't really have a name for just yet that they're estimating was over 200 feet in length. So that's two Boeing 737s. So there are fish massive enough to swallow a human for sure. So there's one case. The second reason I would say is because historians wrote about Jonah. We don't just find the book of Jonah here in the Bible. So you're like, I don't know if I can believe that. But historians actually wrote about it. There's a historian named Josephus. Uh, he's a Jewish historian. And um, no one takes his writings as false. Okay? So if you do any history at all and you look up Josephus, like they, they take his as accurate history. Josephus actually writes about Jonah. And he gives us details that we don't find in the book of Jonah. He tells us where the fish spits him up onto land. He tells us a lot more details about what he tells the people of Nineveh. There's details in the story that we don't find in the book. So he didn't use the book of Jonah as his source. He used other historical documents that he had available to be able to write his historical accounts. So if, when you do the deep dive of, of history, there's a large consensus that this is a historical book, not just a literary tale. And then the third reason I would say that I, for me that I take it uh, literally is that Jesus took it literally. Right, when you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus said this, Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, a title that he gives for himself, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jesus says, just like this happened, this is going to happen. So Jesus is talking about his own death and his own resurrection. He's like, hey, I'm going to die, and as I die, here's what's going to happen, just like this is what happened to Jonah. So here's what I would say. If you don't take it literally, then, then I don't think you could take the, the resurrection of Jesus literally. Because Jesus said, just like this, this is going to happen. So it wasn't like, hey, this is some metaphor for life or something like that. He said, just as in Jonah did this, I will do this. If you do a deep dive of, of history, I would say this, it's a harder sell. If you actually do your research, it's a harder sell to say that this was just a literary masterpiece than it was a historical account. Like it's much easier to believe there was a historical account once you do some deep research into it than just to say, oh, it was just a good story. But you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to have my view. You can still get something out of it. Let's continue. Verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So wh what does Jonah do from inside the fish? He does something he hadn't done up until this point. He prays. Jonah didn't pray when God called him to Nineveh. He didn't pray when the storm came upon the boat. He didn't pray when the sailors threw him into the ocean. He didn't even pray when he got swallowed up by a fish. It says, after three days and three nights, then Jonah prays. And Jonah's prayer, it's, this, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's this beautiful, profound prayer. It's one of the most profound prayers in Scripture. He uses, he knows Scripture. He knows God's word. I mean, he, he quotes from Lamentations 3. He quotes from Psalm 120. He quotes from Job. Uh, in fact, there's no less than 11 Old Testament references in eight verses. So he quotes scripture like crazy. He knows scripture. And honestly, that's probably a warning. The warning is this, that exposure to scriptural truth does not guarantee a godly life. Like you can know God's word. You can know what it says to do, but it doesn't mean that you'll do it. And if you know God's word and you know what to do and you don't do it, that's called practical atheism. 
meaning that you say you believe something, but you don't actually follow through. This is Jonah. This is where he's at. He's not following God, but man, he knows God's word. What did he pray? Look at verse 2 through 4. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He acknowledges that God is the one that, that has put him in this situation because of his own sin. That God is, has caused some of these things to happen, this storm to happen, and to be thrown in the sea and all of that. And I think sometimes when, God, when people realize, man, God could have stopped this or God could have done something different, they get bitter and angry. Jonah doesn't get that way. Look at verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me, my life up from the pit. He just give, gives God credit. He said, God, I, I might be in the belly of this fish and seaweed was wrapped around my neck, but you brought me up. You spared me. You saved me. And it's these next four verses that I want us to focus on that, that Jonah prays because these next four verses, I, I believe that we find our story in his story. Look at verse 7. It says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. It says, when my life was ebbing away, when it was, when it was being destroyed away, then finally, God, I remembered you. Now, there's a lot of people that say, Jonah, you probably shouldn't have gotten to that point. You probably shouldn't have gotten to the point where, like, you were about to die, and then you're like, oh, yeah, and God, he can help me out. Like, that, that, like you shouldn't do that in life. That's true. But what Jonah's prayer teaches us here is that it's never too late to turn to God. It's never too late. Jonah's a prophet of God. He's a man of God. Like he's supposed to, he knows God's word. He quotes God's word so much in this prayer, and yet he's not following God. At the very last moment, he turns to God. God saves his life. It's never too late to turn to God. The perfect example of this, in my opinion, is a, one of the criminals on the cross. So Jesus is He's um, uh, crucified up on a cross, and there's two criminals, one on each side of him. And one of the criminals starts to mock Jesus. And the other one says, hey, man, you need to chill out. This is the king. And he says, Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So this guy has this, this repentant heart. He's dying on a cross because he's a criminal. He has done something wrong. And he turns to Jesus, and he's like, will you please forgive me? Will you redeem me? It's never too late to turn to God. For some of us, we feel like we're far, too far down our path to be forgiven by God. Like we've just done too much. Ernest, that sounds great in theory and all of that, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've walked through. You don't know the pain that I've experienced and then the fruit of that pain, the things that I've done to others or the things that I've done to myself. God says, it doesn't matter what your past is, you can turn to me at any point. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can turn to God. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can turn to God. And why delay? Like some people will use that and be like, well, then I'll just keep doing what I want to do. I'll just do whatever feels good for me and all of that. And then, you know, one day when I'm old and gray and I can, you know, do whatever, I, and, and I've, real, I've had all my fun and all of that, then I'll turn to God. It's like, why would you want to waste time? 
Like the greatest life is a life submitted to God. And I can test to that because I've done those things. The greatest life is a life submitted to God. So why waste time now? And I get it. The reason why we waste time is because we want to do what we want to do. Like we have our own desires on our own will and our, what, what we have planned and all of that. And we're kind of worried, man, if I turn my life over to God, what's that going to do to me? What's that going to do to what I want? It's exactly what Jonah speaks of next. Look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Turn God's love from them. So for those who cling to worthless idols, he says, you actually turn yourself away from God's love. As a pastor, I hear all the time, like, man, why, why would God turn his back on me? Why would God turn away from me and all of that? I'm like, man, God doesn't do that. God's not like, wow, like you really messed up and I can't believe you did that. I'm just, I can't talk to you right now. Like I've done that in parenting, but that's not how God does it to us. That's not how a true father speaks to his kids, loves his kids. God never turns from us. What happens here, and Jonah even admits it in his own life, that when we cling to worthless idols, we actually turn ourselves from God's love. We turn away from it. We reject it. Now, what does it mean to cling to a worthless idol? What is an idol? An idol is anything that we set up and put in place of God. Anything that we put in God's place, that is an idol. Right? So was Jonah worshiping some little idol, the pocket-sized idol that he had that he was worshiping secretly? No. So what was Jonah worshiping? He was worshiping himself. He had placed himself above God. He wanted what he wanted. God had his desires. God had his commands. But Jonah's like, no, I'm good. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he was clinging to himself. And that teaches us this Next point, that choose carefully what you cling to. Choose carefully what you cling to. You see, we can know Scripture, and we can know God's Word, and we can come to church, and we can hear these things. And this is true for me as well. We can, we can read about what God wants us to do and all of that. We can have all the head knowledge. But so many times in our lives, we're tempted to cling to worthless idols. Be careful what you choose to cling to. For many of us, we'll cling to a job, or we'll cling to money or substances. Over the last few years, a lot of people have been clinging to social media, to the news. And you've been putting these things, we've been putting these things above our relationship with God. Like, I found myself in certain times where I'm spending more time on social media or more time reading the news than I am God's Word or I am in prayer or anything like that. And I'm like, man, that, that is me placing those things above Him. A relationship. It, this is easy to do with our kids, especially in, in the culture that we live in. It's so easy to put our kids above everything else. Right? It's so easy to like focus on them and care about them and want their success and all of that and put them before God. And when we do that, they become an idol. Or maybe that's not, none of those things are your idols. Maybe your idol is yourself. You want what you want. You've worked hard for your money. You should be able to spend it the way you want. You, you have your dreams and your desires and your wants and all of those things, but be careful what you cling to. Because if you cling to anything other than God, then as Jonah's prayer says, we actually turn ourselves from God's love. God won't turn himself from you, but you can turn yourself from him. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a lonely place to be. 
It's where Jonah was, and he ended up in the belly of a fish. I don't want to go there. So cling to God. Find salvation. Find redemption. That leads us to these last two verses. It says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Even after the storm, even after being swallowed by a fish, after being thrown overboard, all that, Jonah says, I will still praise you. Like in the depth of the belly of this fish, I can't, I can't imagine. In the worst scenario he could have ever asked for, that's where he's at. And he says, I will still praise you. Why? Because Jonah understood this final truth, that storms can be redeeming. Storms can be redeeming. No one likes to go through storms. None of us. But what if the storms in your life could actually lead to redemption? What if they could actually lead to salvation? What if the storms in your life could actually lead to a better marriage? Could lead to better parenting? Could lead to you being a better follower of Christ? Can lead to you being a better leader, a better boss, a better employee? Like what if you knew that, okay, if I just go through this bit of pain, but on the other side it will be so much greater, would you go through it? Most of us would say yes. But in the middle of it, we're like, come on, God. This is tough. This is hard. None of us like storms. I just believe that God wants to redeem all of our storms. Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite passages. It says this, that God will cause all things, say all things, all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and love Christ. He'll cause all things to work together for good. All things. No matter what storm you go through in life. But it's really hard to see that in the midst of a storm. So how do you know that God can redeem storms, Ernest? Because it takes time and it takes a different perspective. Like sometimes storms just take time. And that's really hard. I was talking to a guy earlier this week about this very thing. He's struggling with some things. I'm like, man, I don't have a whole lot of advice except sometimes it just takes time. And maybe like I'm a terrible counselor and a terrible pastor for telling him that, but it's the reality. Like sometimes you just have to wait it out. And that's hard. But sometimes storms can become redeeming once you change your perspective. A few years ago, a couple years ago, we did a a series called Winning the War in Your Mind. It's a series that gets brought back up to me by people all the time. We actually, we had this, um, this picture done of a storm. And what we talked about was perspective. And here's what we do so many times. Here's what I do. I don't know what you do. Here's what I do. If you're anything like me, when a storm comes, I'm, I'm, my picture frame is here. I'm focusing here. Like I only see the black. I only see the clouds. I only see the darkness. I'm going, how do we get out of this? This is awful. Right, then I've got some buddies that like, maybe they're here. They're like, ah, man, it's, it's really bad. It's like really bad. But it's not so bad as other people maybe, something like that. And where I want to be is I want to be more like here. Where like the storm is still raging. It's still here. Like I'm still going through it. But God, I'm going to believe that there's something good on the other side. I'm going to believe that there's some light shining through. 
when you change your perspective, you change the way that you respond. Right? When you're only looking at the negative and the darkness, if you're anything like me, that's what it creates in you. That's what comes out of you. Right? You become pessimistic. You know, you're, you're, you're doubting things. You're doubting God and all of these stuff. Like, I've never seen somebody, you know, go through storms and they're focusing on all the bad and be like, but it's great. Because that's not what comes out. What comes out when you're only focused on here is the darkness. And I'm not saying that it's easy to get here, guys. I'm not saying that. Okay, I'm not saying as a pastor that, like, I have this figured out. Like, when we go through storms in our family, like, I, I thank God that I have the gift of faith, but it still can take me a while to get here. Because I'm looking at all the troubles and all the challenges and all, man, how? And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes the only way I get here is by remembering the cross. Remembering what Jesus has already done for me. But like even in my darkest hour, in my greatest sin, God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And like remembering that truth allows me to hold out hope that my God will come through again. Like, I can't imagine. We'll, 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 we'll check out Jonah's story over the next couple more weeks and see how he ultimately responds. And it's not positive, to be honest. Like, his story, at least the part that we have, doesn't end super well. Because he stays focused here. It's ultimately why it doesn't end well for him. And we'll see that because he stays focused here. And that's true for every person I've ever met. When storms don't end well for somebody in the long term, because they're never able to get out of the darkness. But God will always bring light. I was in a really tough spot back in, in high school and I had just accepted Christ. But I was really just struggling with some things that I was walking through and all I could think about was all the bad, all the negative things. And I had a coach that, he said this phrase that at the time I was like, are you like teaching like, you shouldn't be teaching. You're, like, terrible. You shouldn't be coaching. You're terrible. But now it's stuck with me, and it will for the rest of my life. He said, Ernest, the sun will rise again tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, and it's going to be, tomorrow's going to be just as bad. And as I, like, stopped and processed, I'm like, he's saying there's light. There's light. That God can redeem storms that God can pull good out of the bad. And sometimes it just changes, it just takes us changing our perspective. So I don't know what you've been walking through, I don't know what you've been going through, I don't know if you feel like, man, I, I'm in the belly of the whale right now. Like this storm is rough, Ernest. My encouragement to you is sometimes it takes time. And I know it takes a change of perspective. So my prayer is that you'll see something positive today. As you process what you're walking through, you'll see something good in the midst of it so that you can hold out hope that the sun will rise again tomorrow. And if God can redeem my sins, he can redeem my today, whatever storm I'm walking through, that we have that hope. And like Jonah says here, may we praise him for it, even in the midst of it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you so much, Father, just for who you are, your mercy and your grace in our lives. 
God, I thank you that all of us walk through storms. We all go through challenges and issues in life. I thank you because you're in the midst of it with us. That you don't turn your back on us. That it's our clinging to worthless idols that turns us from your love. So God, if there's any idols in our lives right now, Father, may we acknowledge those things and may we lay them down at your feet. Say, God, I'm not putting this above you anymore. I'm not putting this relationship. I'm not putting this job. I'm not putting money. I'm not putting comfort. Whatever it may be, I'm not, I'm not putting this addiction. I'm not putting social media. Whatever it may be, I'm not putting that above you anymore, Lord. I want you first in my life. I'm not putting myself above you. You are God. And you deserve to stay on your throne. And then, Father, I pray for all of us that, God, you would help us in the times where it is dark and it is hard that, Father, we would learn how to change our perspective. We wouldn't just look at the darkness, but we would see some hope. We'd see some light. We'd see your glory shine through. Father, there are some of us in this room that if we're going to be real honest, we'd say, man, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right in the midst of a storm. Honestly, Ernest, it's hard to see God redeeming this. Or maybe you can see little glimpses of light, but you're still in the midst of it. If that's you, with every head bowed, if you'd say, man, I'm just in the, I'm, I'm in the middle of a storm right now, Ernest. I would, I would love some prayer. I'm not going to come out and pray over you or bring you up front or anything like that. But if that's you, if you'd say, man, I'm in the midst of a storm and I'd, I'd love some prayer, I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who to pray for So many. And there's people in the courtyard and watching at home, you're walking through it too. I just want you to know our God sees you. And he will never turn from you. So run to him. May his love give you exactly what you need. May his truth give you exactly what you need. May his justice and his grace give you exactly what you need in this moment. Father, we thank you. Be with us now and redeem this storm. And then for those of us who aren't walking through a storm, God, help us to point to the light of the rest of us, God, to say, hey, there is hope. Don't give up. There's a better day tomorrow. The sun will rise again tomorrow. Don't give up. God, use us, transform us in Jesus' name.